Hello, Bill Boyd here with the North Carolina Study Center Daily Devotion. Uh, I'm going to read to you from Psalm 2, and as I read through, I'm going to do what's called a running commentary. I'm going to read a little bit and then talk about it, and read a little bit and talk about it. Psalm 2 uh, breaks up into four pretty distinct sections. There's one narrator except for the third part, where uh, there's a different narrator. And uh, the psalm reminds me always of uh, a friend of mine and mentor used to say that uh, Dallas, Texas is a monument to the hubris of man. <laughs> Meaning that um, you know, Houston, Texas is a port. There's a reason it's there. Um, Austin, Texas uh, is on a river, but also it's the edge of the hill country. Um, it. it it's a beautiful place. There's a reason it's there. Uh, same with San Antonio, actually. But Dallas, you look at it, uh, if you've ever been there, and you think, why in the world uh, is there this big city here? And it's because uh, a few folks just basically said, you know, uh, by Dern, we're going to build a big city here. Uh, and it's a monument to the hubris of man. And the word hubris actually has to do with kind of deep down drivenness that's fueled by anger and rage even, like it's pride, but but actually it's more of this like internal just rage, this I have to do something significant kind of thing, and it's not a peaceful thing, it's a real power-oriented thing. So in many ways, I think this psalm is a testament to the hubris of man, or better yet, um, it acknowledges the reality of the hubris of man, and it also then um, puts it into context. Hear the word of the Lord, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart. Let us cast away their cords from us. What's pictured here, of course, is those who are in power, including those who are in the majority, um, wanting to do what they want to do. And so the idea here is that whatever limitations might seemingly or really be upon them, whether it's the nations, you know, the peoples of the earth, the kings of the earth, so those in power and also those in the majority, the haves, you know, basically say, look, whatever it is that constrains us, we won't have it, including, you know, the law of God. And uh, the picture that the psalm presents from the very beginning is, is that the raging, the plotting, you know, the counsel together of the worldly is ultimately actually raging, plotting, counseling against the Lord and against those favored by the Lord. And perhaps most chiefly the one mostly favored by the Lord.
And they show this by saying, look, we're not going to, we won't accept any limitations from anyone. That's kind of the cry of the world. It's the cry of Nike. Just do it. It's also actually uh, the cry of Disney. I'm, I'm not saying don't go buy Nike shoes. I'm not saying don't watch Disney movies or go to Disney World. But the message there of, you know, the Disney message is you can, you know, whatever you dream, you can be or do. Of course, the Nike thing is more of, it, it is that, but it's more of just, look, just do it. Just get down to it. That's kind of what's pictured here. The second stanza begins this way. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them, them being the nations, the peoples, the kings of the earth, in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Two things to note here. Uh, one is the Lord speaks in response to the actions and the statements of the peoples, the rulers of the earth. And he just laughs and, and holds them in derision, which is um, similar to saying he mocks them. And then he just simply says, look, I have my plan, and here's my plan. I've set my king, and he is on Zion, my holy hill. And, and two people are in sight here. One is King David and his throne, which is, we're told, will be established forever. But the second is this, that, of course, David's throne ultimately was disestablished. But um, in terms of his own hold on the kingdom. But David's um, great, 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 great grandson, the greater David, we might say, Jesus Christ came, and his kingdom was established in Zion on God's holy hill, which of course was Golgotha. In a very strange turn of events, God established his kingdom through the cross of Christ. He destroyed sin and death. Stanza three. We're, now there's a new narrator, and the narrator is actually the son, the king, whom the Lord establishes on his holy hill. And he says, I will tell of the decree, uh, the eternal decree, we might add, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. And the ends of the earth, your possession, you shall break or rule them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. For our time today, the picture here is that God establishes his king in Zion on his holy hill, which is a place that the nations would kind of scoff at. And uh, the king wants everyone to know that, look, this is what God said to me. I mean, you can 
take it as you will, but he said that not only am I established, but that I would break the nations and the peoples. I would rule them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And you're like, well, that's not much of a God of love. Well, suffice it to say, this is a picture of, of what God has to say about where the raging, um, the plotting, the counseling of the nations and of those in power will ultimately lead. That the result of all that will be kind of like the result of someone who um, you know, takes a rod of iron and breaks a potter's vessel. That's not much of a chore. It's pretty easy. And the Lord is saying, look, whoever takes their stand against me and particularly against my anointed one, that's such a foolish and a fruitless thing to do. And so finally, the fourth stanza, the narrator comes back and says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Which, of course, uh, is a bold thing to say to a king, and yet we might even argue here it's a gracious thing to say. Now therefore, in light of this king on Zion, who you might be tempted to you know, speak in derision of the way that the Lord actually holds the nations in derision. He says, be wise. Be warned, rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling brings to mind Paul's statement that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing uh, that the Lord is good and he is working out his good pleasure through us and in our midst. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, meaning submit to him. Give him his due honor lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all to take refuge in him. Well, why would his wrath be quickly kindled? And the reason is this. He is a God who will defend those who take refuge in him. In other words, this is a psalm that like the Beatitude says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for ultimately they have a defender. All who take refuge in him, whether they have power, whether they have no power, whether they have money, whether they have no money, um, they are blessed, but any who take their stand and seek to establish themselves do it in futility. So as we seek to chart a way forward and figure out what it is we are to do, I think this is a psalm that calls us to pray for our leaders and for God to show them mercy. And it calls us to, uh, as we move forward, however we do so, to do so in a posture um, of humility where <clears throat> we are taking refuge in the Lord, in the Lord alone.
Lord bless you and keep you.